One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. Screen time. It's my screen time too. Screen time, screen time. Hello and welcome to It's My Screen Time Too, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming. From Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah. And I have two kids, Jay, he's six, and Kenny, he's three. And I have three kids, Tony is 12, and Libby and Nate are nine. And they are so adorable, aren't they? They are. We like to tell a quick story about how awesome or occasionally awful our kids are, because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. Katie, my kids corrected my pronunciation of a word this week. We were reading, um, no, it's this book. Oh, it's called like the problematic paradox or something. It's it's like a sci-fi type kid novel and the word soldering was in it and I pronounced it soldering or like soldiering I just stumbled over it because that's a hard word for me and Tony was like mom it's soldering (laughs) (laughs) how about your kids so yesterday we were doing one well I got to do two of my favorite things. I put together a bookshelf, a new bookshelf for Jay, and I rearranged his books in his bedroom. And the boys got to try on their dance recital outfits. Side note, the less fun thing is that now I have to alter those dance recital outfits. And I am just not equipped, Deborah. I'm just, I'm, I'm fine. Do you have a sewing machine? I have a sewing machine. But I can't use it for anything practical. Like, the problem with clothing is that it has so many circles. Yeah. <laughs> and like I can sew like a blanket or a napkin or anything that's straight, but like the hem of a pants or like the waistband, I have to do by hand. And I'm still so terrified about getting it wrong that I'm afraid to like cut anything. I don't know. It's always way more work and effort than I feel like it should be. I never learn. One year is never easier than the one before. But whatever. That's not even the story I was going to (laughs) tell. So (laughs) I got their costumes out of their closets because I finally got all the individual pieces from the dance studio. And I'm like, let's go downstairs and try them on in front of a blank wall so mommy can take pictures. Uh, And Jay said, not right now, mom. I can't come down. I have to reorganize the books on my shelf. And I was like, I can't Aww. even fault you. Have fun, buddy. <laughs> oh, I love that. It was really sweet. How did he arrange them? He pretty much just wanted to go sh- through and make sure that all the series of books were in the correct numerical order. Which, oh my since God. I had just put the bookshelf together, of course they already were. But I loved the fact that like he felt the need to go through and do that as well. Good for him. I love a little organizer. That's great. (laughs) Now, if only I could get him to reliably throw his laundry in the laundry room. Good luck. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) No tips. (laughs) Deborah. there is a movie that I saw that I absolutely must discuss with you. 
Oh. Uh, so I texted you a while back about this mom that I met that watches all the Marvel properties with her son. And it's yeah. like a really special mother-son bond that they have going on over Marvel. And you know how I feel about Marvel. I've talked about it on the show a lot. Like, I am very tired of it. And my brain is just exhausted from having to process all the connections. I'm just tired. So Mm -hmm. the other night, I went to see the new Doctor Strange movie with my husband because I'm the best wife ever. And I had not seen the preceding couple of Marvel things. Like, I hadn't seen the past couple movies, and I haven't watched the past couple TV shows. So I was mostly able to keep up like Doctor Strange is a wizard who can do a lot of things and now there's a multiverse with a lot of different worlds universes as the term might imply but there is one exceedingly silly scene involving music notes and a musical staff that I desperately need you to see because in the movie theater which was not uncrowded I was like cackling so (laughs) loud I found it so funny and no one else was laughing (laughs) oh no also I was happy to see a particular actor in the movie we've talked in the past about how Netflix canceled the babysitters club and we are so sad about it but the actress that plays Dawn in the Dearly Departed Babysitter's Club, Sochil Gomez, has a major role in the movie. And I hope that it will bring her leading roles in many Marvel movies to come. Awesome. So Doctor Strange, I will put it on my watch list. Yeah, I mean, I want to say rush out and see it in the theater so we can talk about it sooner. But you know how I feel about Marvel. It can wait <laughs> until it's for free on some streaming platform. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, screen time in the news. You picked out an article this week from moms.com, a site I have not really been familiar with. No, nor had I before I was idly Googling in search of an article to talk about. Um, The author's name is Ashley Wearley, and the title is, the title says it all. I still want my kids to watch baby shows so they aren't exposed to the garbage they have on TV. (laughs) So moms.com publishes firsthand accounts and advice for moms that are telling their stories to be helpful to other moms. And they aren't necessarily professional journalists. They didn't provide a professional bio for Wearly. Just a quick perusal of the site made me think it's kind of just like long form Facebook mom group. Yeah, yeah. Wearly's kids increased screen time during the pandemic has led her to despair over the state of kids TV. And she wants them to keep watching what she calls baby shows like Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and Sesame Street because she feels like those shows are at least educational. And she has a weird aside about how fondly she remembers watching the Care Bears and My Little Pony as a kid. Um, But it's worth pointing out that those shows were purely commercial and they were made to sell toys and not to like teach lessons or impart any educational knowledge to kids right Um, I did not learn any lessons except that I wanted a pound puppy from pound puppies yeah exactly (laughs) um she complains about toy unboxing like we all do um and Ryan, 
but she likes Blippy because she says his songs are catchy and his videos teach. It sounds like she's just like listening to the ambient television noise and not actually super engaged in the shows because she's trying to get things done while her kids are in front of the TV. She mentions but does not name a show about a kid and his butt (laughs) where the kid gets into like a conflict with his butt and I really want to know what show is this? Yes, Kenny is very much going through a I poop on you phase. Like everything involves poop. There's poop on your head. He would love this show 100%. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wondered if it was Captain Underpants, but I don't think so. Anyway, Ashley, if you listen, Tell us in the comments what show yeah, is that. We want to know because we are about to lay some show recommendations on you, totally unsolicited. <laughs> yeah. Um, so before we do the show recommendations, I wonder if what's happening here a little bit, because she mentions she's got a couple younger kids, a daughter who's a little bit older. Like there is a sadness when your kids outgrow certain things, like when you don't shop at baby gap anymore and you have to move into the kids sizes, like that was sad for me. Mm-hmm. Um, when you stop buying like toddler clothes and like when your kids are like move, when they move on from like board books yeah, into, and they can handle the paper pages. Like it's exciting that they reach those milestones, but it's also kind of sad because like those years never come back and they're never like small and helpless again. So I wonder if she doesn't mention this, but I wonder if there's some of that going on. I also think as a corollary to that, it is universally true about motherhood and parenthood in general that the minute you feel like you get a handle on something, they grow up and change and you're thrust into a whole new world of uncertainty. So it can be really hard when you feel like you found these sources that you trust to just have to start all over again. Right. Right. And on top of that, the age gap, which I feel like we have dealt with and are dealing with with our kids and their age gap. Like Tony is obviously wanting to watch different things from his younger siblings, as is Jay versus Kenny. So it's not a problem we cannot relate to. Yeah, and I'm sure Kenny has ended up watching stuff that's above his uh, pay grade. For <laughs> sure. <Just> like <laughs> Libby and Nate have watched things that aren't exactly age appropriate for them that Tony really wanted to watch. But Ashley doesn't really say what streaming services she has, but you have like a great list of shows to check out yeah I realize again and amidst all this like Netflix turmoil I looked at this list and I was like whoa it is majority Netflix and I'm just so curious to see what the future has for that company and their content but anyway the ones that came to me just off the top of my head were Ask the Storybots, which has a very obvious educational angle. We covered it on our show years ago, but I feel like it's still worth watching. I don't know if they're pro- producing new seasons, but there are at least two, right? Mm-hmm. 
And even just if you listen to the song separate from the content of the episode, they're educational and fun from a grown-up perspective. Emily's Wonder Lab is another one that we really loved and that has been fun for both of my boys at their different ages. Waffles and Mochi we covered on the show. Izzy's Koala World. Waffles and Mochi. Oh, yeah. Izzy's Koala World is a nature-centric show on Netflix, maybe slightly less educational, but cute and inoffensive, I think. Number Blocks, I've said it all. I'll happily say it all again. (laughs) I love it so much. Uh, Looking at things outside of the Netflix world, we did cover Molly of Denali on PBS, and we liked that one quite a bit. And the new Fraggle Rock on Apple TV Plus was a really fun surprise for us, or maybe not a surprise for Deborah, but a surprise for me. Deborah, were you able to think of any more that you really liked? I think your list is a really great place to start. Um, Molly of Donali is so good. I know. And I think this will make a really nice segue into our main topic because I actually think it kind of falls into this category nicely. Yes, definitely. We, in fact, did choose another Netflix show because they just, they churn out the most content, guys. Uh, It is called Creature Cases. It is a half-hour animated show that dropped its first 12-episode season on April 12, 2022. In classic fashion, each episode is divided into two smaller stories, and it seems squarely aimed at the age range between four and seven. It was created by Gabe Pulliam, who worked as a writer and producer for Octonauts, which is another very popular kids' show that you can see on Netflix. It was animated by a French studio, Team T.O., who also do PJ Masks, if you're familiar with that one. They did some seasons of Elena of Avalor and Sophia the First, and they also animated The Beautiful City of Ghosts, which is not returning for another season, but did you watch that one, Deborah? I didn't find it to be super kid-friendly, but I it was gorgeous, so if you ever find yourself with time on your hands, I would recommend that. We picked this one because we do think Octonauts does an admirable job of trying to teach and entertain simultaneously. So we were optimistic about this new Octonauts cousin. And guys, you know I love a mystery show. And I will take any opportunity I can to lead my kids to also enjoy mysteries so we can experience them together. We watched the first episode titled The Mystery on the Monsoon Express, and that was the only one that we saw that wasn't divided into two parts. Then we watched the sixth episode, which was split between The Disappearing Dung Ball and The Search for the Spotted Frog, and the ninth episode, which was split between The Unidentified Shiny Object and The Case of the Crying Monkey. As usual, we'll just zip through the episodes one by one and then move on to our more general thoughts. Deborah, would you like to take us through the Mystery on the Monsoon Express? Yes. So in Mystery of the Monsoon Express, Kit, Fox, and Snow, I'm sorry, Sam Snow and Kit Casey (laughs) get directions from their like detective boss. Oh my gosh. I totally did not even give a summary of the series. Let's just say, let's just say up the top, it's about like two detective partners, Sam Snow and Kit Casey. They work for this organization called Clade. 
the covert league of animal detective experts, and they solve animal mysteries while teaching kids about the more bizarre members of the animal kingdom. Okay, there. Go. Go ahead. (laughs) Okay, so the mystery they need to solve in the pilot episode is the conductor of the Monsoon Express train is bitten by a venomous snake, and they need to figure out which snake bit the conductor so that they can make a anti-venom solution and heal the conductor so the conductor can stop a train from crashing high stakes yeah very tense plot especially at the end what did you think there were several things that predisposed me to like this episode I mean the mystery on a train is just such a classic uh, Mm -hmm. that I loved that little nod and they did do a little bit to like teach viewers the basics of you know mystery tropes like they had their list of suspects that they carefully went through one by one Mm -hmm. I was a little worried and I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through this without a spoiler but grown-ups I don't know that we necessarily care about spoilers in creature cases I was a little worried after watching this episode that the entire series would be a little too law and order like for my taste oh and that (laughs) meaning that the first suspect would always be the one that did it like the (laughs) the first and most obvious choice would always be the culprit thankfully that turned out not to necessarily be the case in the other episodes but I was initially just a little disappointed by that what did you think as someone who's not necessarily quite as enmeshed in the world of mysteries as I am I liked it um this is a good introduction to the series I felt like when I was a kid like leprosy and snake bites were something that I thought were going to be a bigger factor in my adult life. Also quicksand. Yes. And quicksand as like hazards to avoid. And that would definitely kill you. (laughs) So I liked that aspect of it. I thought that it was really clever the way they kind of showed how to use process of elimination, like both visually and um, like they did it kind of repetitively because it's a kid's show, Mm -hmm. but I thought it was teaching, but not being hammer you over the head with the lesson. Exactly. Incorporated into the plot and in a fun way. And I liked at the end, just like any educational show, like they do a couple minutes at the end with a real lesson. And this was called the fact file. And I thought that was a super cute way to end the show. But I have to tell you, I watched it with my kids Mm -hmm. and they had strong opposing opinions about the fact file. Oh, so they were like, look, we know what you're trying to do and we're not here for it. Like, don't try and teach us stuff. They were, they, they were really opposed to like the line that's like, Bill, Jill, attitude, chill. Like they hated that. (laughs) Okay. So it wasn't that they were being shown actual footage of actual snakes. It was the framing device they objected to. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, fascinating. (laughs) You know what I learned from this fact file? What? That I'm utterly unsuited to live somewhere with a lot of poisonous snakes because they showed us the picture of these big four snakes and really... It was hard to tell the difference. They just look like snakes. I know. Like, really, you should just avoid all snakes, yeah. I think. <laughs> Even the harmless ones. They're creepy. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know a harmless <laughs> one from a cobra. 
No, no, not at all. <laughs> all right, should we move on to the second episode we watched? Sure. The case of the disappearing dung ball found Sam and Kit trying to recover a missing dung ball for a dung beetle couple. And the second segment, the search for the spotted frog, had them, obviously, searching for a spotted frog that lived in a mutualistic relationship with a tarantula. It was a tarantula, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Sam and Kit were searching for this frog who was also in possession of one of the tarantula's eggs. Side note, I did not know the word mutualistic before. Oh, that's a good one. So I learned something. What did you think of these episodes? I liked it. I learned a lot. I thought like the way the dung beetles were animated was really, they made them really cute for Uh creatures that live in poop. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's one thing like, and it's the same thing with octonauts, right? They make really weird creatures. They find the relatable thing. And mm-hmm. the relatable thing they found about these dung beetles is it's they're just a loving couple who want to build a home and have a family. And right. they just might want to do that in a ball of poop. But <laughs> don't we all just want to have loving families? It, it, it was it was sweet, I thought. Yeah. So this episode takes place in Africa and Mystery on the Monsoon Express takes place in Asia. So Sam Snow and Kit Casey are really, they're like the Interpol of animal detectives. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to know who's behind, like, who's funding this operation? Mm -hmm. This is an impressive deal. Also, they seem to be able to move to places really quickly because often they're given the intel like as things are happening. So it's not like they have time to plan for 48 hours before they hop in their pinball powered plane and go to solve a mystery. Mm -hmm. They bounce from continent to continent very quickly. Yeah. This episode also introduced us to a character that I believe was a wombat? Wally Bunker? Uh, Bungler, I think. Oh, okay, Bungler. Okay. So he was their somewhat hapless friend who <laughs> is like an independent contractor <laughs> and just like, you know, comes to these emergency scenes to help out because he's enthusiastic about it. He's the the tolerated amateur that often accidentally ends up solving the case, which is another classic mystery trope that I appreciated them introducing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as usual Wally is underappreciated by the professionals (laughs) so episode three was another two-parter and it was called the unidentified shiny object and the case of the crying monkey and so our detectives need to solve for what is messing with the firefly's mating signal at night and then in the case of the crying monkey they have to figure out what is imitating the sound of a baby monkey what did you think of this episode again i learned some things i didn't know bioluminescence is always fun Mm -hmm. (laughs) once again and i don't know if wally shows up as often but like it just so happened that two of the three episodes that we watched featured wally so once Mm -hmm. again he came in and accidentally solved the case which I really enjoyed I wonder how you feel about the fact that they kind of ignored the predator prey relationship 
Yeah, they definitely gloss over that, which all cartoons of animals have to, right? Yeah, yeah. You're right. There's no good way to do it, but there's also no way I could believe that, like, that Margay cat was coming into the picture just to eat protein bars and not to <laughs> eat some baby monkeys. <laughs> right. Oh. <laughs> So it's an interest. It's an interesting line that they walk. You know, they're a show that's trying to teach kids real facts about animals, and they're also conveniently ignoring this one somewhat essential fact. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to hold it against it. I thought it was pretty cute. I just maybe let the cat out of the bag. But first things first. Did you like it? I did like it surprisingly a lot for what is like a preschool early elementary geared show agreed agreed I was pleasantly surprised by it as well can I lay my main questions out on the table for you please there seem to be only six agents in Clade and I wonder about their work-life balance because Mm. Sam and Kit seem to work together and live together So obviously I'm thinking that eventually there's got to be some romantic tension there, right? They spend all their time together. Right. But in all the episodes, we don't see any cross-species relationships. So I'm wondering what kind of tension that's going to cause within the organization. Maybe it's more like like Matt Damon and Julia Child in the Bourne movies. Like Julia Child's? This is creating the best picture in my head. Matt Damon and Julia Child in the Bourne movies. Oh, oh my gosh. So much. What is her name? Julia Stiles. Yeah. <laughs> but I love it because Julia Child, didn't she start out working as a spy? Yeah, she did. <laughs> I think we accidentally created a really good concept. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. That makes me think of the later Bourne movies when he's like got kind of the tension, but it's never like a, well, they just don't have time to act upon any romantic impulses. Exactly. They don't bunk together. Mm-hmm. They're not co-parents of an adorable spotted fern. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my primary concern. I was also a little worried about the mice squad who are two of the other agents that we meet and they are, as with your typical CBS procedural, you know how they always have like the one tech person in the office who really does everything? Like that's who yeah. the My Squad mirrors. And uh, again, I just worry that they're never allowed to live their lives. Yeah, maybe this is a job where they get, they, where they work like, I don't know, three weeks on and then they get a couple weeks off. Maybe you're thinking about it too heteronormatively. Maybe they're not, maybe they're just like work wife and husband and then they have other attractions. Oh, no. I mean, I don't, they're, I wasn't even giving a thought to like them being a couple. It was more like, I don't think they get any time off. Like if you look at like the interstitial animation, you see like slices of pizza and stuff. They're like eating in the office. They're never gone. (laughs) Yeah. I think they need to negotiate some time off. All right, those are my major issues with the larger concept. (laughs) Did you have any? Other than, I mean, because I watched it with my kids, I was more aware of like what might appeal 
like what I'm liking as a grown up and a parent and mm-hmm. what might not appeal mm-hmm. to kids. But overall, I really liked it. Yeah, emphasizing the bizarre is a classic way to hook kids on a topic. And it's a classic for grownups, too. I mean, when channel surfing, I will always watch an episode of Bizarre Foods with Andrew Zimmern. Mm-hmm. I will always stop. So I can relate to that for sure. I just unloaded on you about my feelings about the relationship between Sam and Kit. But do you have any thoughts about the cast or characters? Was there anyone you particularly loved or hated? I did like the boss lady who gives them their assignments. She was very classic spycraft boss who is, uh, you know, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the agent in um, Killing Eve. Have you finished the last season of that? Mm-hmm. No, I only ever watched the first season, but. Oh, okay. Very, like, just very officious. Um, and that was the vibe I got from, I don't even know what animal she is. Like I know she has like that like plucked neck and head look of like a vulture but yeah her vibe seems more turkey <laughs> <laughs> that one's going on the Instagram <laughs> that's what I was just thinking <laughs> what did you think about the animation it looks a lot like octonauts right yeah it's not like my favorite type of animation it's like adequate it's like tv cgi yeah nothing groundbreaking here the thing the choice that they very self-consciously made was to use very late 80s colors and styles uh and even references like i mentioned how their plane kind of gets shot out of the hangar by like a pinball mechanism it's very explicitly emphasizing that time and I hate how every episode always comes back to (laughs) me feeling old and generational divides but I wonder if that's an attempt to appeal to young Gen Z parents because the early 90s and the late 80s are very much a going concern in fashion these days that's interesting. You know what I noticed in the um, spy boss's office is there's a framed piece of art that looks like a Keith Haring print. Oh, really? Yeah. Usually I'm not that, usually I don't pay that much attention to detail, but that <laughs> caught my eye. And also the spycraft devices that they use are very Inspector Gadgety, mm-hmm. which is another callback to that era. That's interesting. And then in the fact file portion, it's very explicit. Like they have the pixelated computer face and like the traditional robot voice and then the dancing and the glasses. It's very rooted in a specific time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it felt uh, very calculated. And I guess it's Netflix, obviously, there calculating to get eyeballs but it felt like maybe it was on the edge of not being for me for being for people younger than me (laughs) um I didn't feel well and maybe because it wasn't targeting like my elder millennial generation (laughs) maybe I didn't pick up on that entirely did you pick up on anything about the music 
Um, it was a lot of synthesizer mm-hmm. again with the yes. rooted in a specific time. Yeah, I guess I thought maybe that was budgetary because the music also didn't feel super groundbreaking. Like it was fine, mm-hmm. but I feel like the real richness of this show is in the concept and the script mm-hmm. not necessarily the animation and the music agreed what movie or tv show for grown-ups does this compare to well the first episode made me think of snowpiercer both <laughs> the movie and the show and then later when they were eating the protein bars yeah <laughs> <laughs> Which, if we say that's what we compare it to, like, that's not going to make people want to watch it with their kids. No. (laughs) (laughs) We cast a wide net here. (laughs) I also thought quite a bit about the Americans. Because you were catching that 80s vibe. Yeah. Yeah, totally. How about you? What did you compare it to? My first thought was the X-Files. Oh, yeah, good one. You know, two agents seeking out the bizarre and explaining it. Yeah, definitely. Were you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot? Okay, so Sam Snow has a really delightful accent. He does. So I wanted to cast Don Cheadle in that role. Hmm. You know, Don, um, and we, you, do you want him to do his like fake Ocean's Eleven accent? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. I guess, well, I guess the character that Don Cheadle plays in Ocean's Eleven, that's who I, I would cast as. Okay. <laughs> Sam Snow. <laughs> and then I would cast Selena Gomez as Kit Fox. Um, I would cast Margot Martindale from The Americans as the boss. Yes. Um, and then maybe David Diggs as the bungler. You just had Snowpiercer on the brain, huh? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) So I went a slightly different route. My main takeaway from Sam Snow was that he was a capable detective, but he was a bit more fussy than he liked to admit. Mm. So I think someone who would do that credit would be an actor like Lakeith Stanfield. (gasps) I love him. Mm -hmm. He's so good. And then we've been watching a ton of Encanto at our house lately. So I thought Stephanie Beatrice could be like a fun, sassy Kit Carson. That's her last name, right? Carson. Then as the boss lady at Clade, I cast Allison Janney. Oh, yes, definitely. Oh, and also, as usual, I want them to be wearing the butts of their animal costumes. When she- <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Do you think it was better when we were kids? No. Well, I really did like Inspector Gadget, but I think this is uh, more educational. Definitely. I was trying to think back on shows that were entertaining and educational. And other than the obvious suspects from, or the usual suspects from the PBS lineup, really all I could come up with was Captain Planet. Like, I don't Mm. feel like we had anything that was this much fun for this age group yeah would you ever watch this alone voluntarily no because my kids were super into it I think it was because they were homesick and we started it well I watched one with Libby and then she like raved about it to her brothers and Tony's 12 he's not the target audience for this but they were all super into it I love that because you know what my kids too 
this is like the kid equivalent of a four quadrant hit if we can have like <laughs> kids from the age of three to 12 enjoying it. I really right. did think there was something there for everyone. Uh, so 10 seconds on whether this is good for our kids. I think we just covered it. It uh, seems really good for our kids. Mm hmm. I will put up with overt 80s imagery and synthesizer music because it was still fun to watch with my kids, even as I was rolling my eyes. <laughs> Ratings? I'd give it a four and a half. How about you? See, I was thinking back to our last episode, Better Nate Than Ever, which I feel like we gave that a four and a half. Obviously a very different show. Did I like this as much? You know what? You know what? Yeah, in a different way. But yeah, I think it serves an important purpose to have these middle ground shows and to circle back to our screen time in the news to have these shows that can appeal to kids at different stages and parents Mm -hmm. can also feel good about them a plus netflix please don't stop making children's (laughs) content (laughs) thank you for listening to this episode of it's my screen time too please rate and review us on apple podcasts or your podcast platform of choice check out our website at myscreentime2.com. You can find us on all the socials like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and even email us on Gmail at myscreentime2 at gmail.com. Send us your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children, and our podcast is produced by Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye. Bye. Screen time. Screen time. Screen time.